to Teach the Word. Uh, today's topic is the hypostatic union, which is the uh, dual natures of Jesus Christ, the God-man nature. Before we get into what Scripture has to say about that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We need you in our lives, um, and we need you as a Savior. Um, and we need you who you are, who, who you are revealed to be in the pages of Scripture. So we just come um, asking you, let your word speak. Let your word speak, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm watching my daughter, so she's, she's just going to make noise. Uh, sorry. So the... My wife's taking a nap. The hypostatic union is um like I said that God exist that Jesus Christ the the person Jesus Christ simultaneously exists as both fully God fully man that's that's the idea um and we see both of these natures the divine and the human nature side by side um in different passages like for example early on in the church in, in the while the new testament was still being written there was um, controversy. Uh, there was people who were teaching that Jesus wasn't uh, actually God, um, I believe. Or perhaps he wasn't actually man, sorry. And this is in First in John, you see uh, this, or Second John, sorry. Um... Second John, starting in 7. For many deceivers are gone out into the world who do not confess that Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So this is those who are denying that Jesus Christ had, uh, had uh, was, was really a flesh, man, the, the human nature. Verse 7, 2 John. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Um, so they're maintaining, uh, there was a teaching going on that, that Jesus was not really flesh, just, uh, divine, just God. And, uh, the apostle John is writing to try to correct that here in, in this letter to the, to the elder, second John. We can see Paul talking about this in the beginning of, uh, in Philippians chapter two, where he's talking about Jesus who's fully God, you know, emptying himself and taking on flesh. Uh, so I'm going to read that passage at the beginning of Philippians 2. Uh, I just have to find Philippians. Philippians, chapter 2. Where do I want to be here exactly? So, I guess 6 and 8 maybe. So chapter 2, verse, verses, uh, let, uh, let's start in 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So there you're seeing the, um, the verse 6 is, is the divine nature, and then the uh, verse 7, the human nature um, in Philippians 2. We see this 
lot of places, uh, passages. Um, I think the the poem that starts off the the Gospel of John maybe is the, the most beautiful, or maybe I guess the most profound statement of of this. The ver for the that's the first. Uh, I don't know what it is. Um, like I think eighteen verses. Yeah. John 1, 1 through 18, so it's a long poem. You could read that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That that was uh, the true light that was, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world did, was made through him, and the world does, did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he who comes before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. I think verse 14 is the key one here is... Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you looked back in verse 1, the Word is, is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's you got the divine nature and the, um, in verse 1, and then the flesh, the human uh, nature in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The poem that begins the Gospel of John. John doesn't begin with uh, like an account of Jesus's birth, like Matthew and Luke do. Begins with this this account of the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh, God becoming flesh. Um, so, just trying to show past where the idea of um, the dual nature of Jesus Christ is coming from in, in different passages or passages that show both natures or discuss one or the other kind of in, in, in detail. Um, we could look at the beginning of, of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. I have it written down here, Matthew one twenty three. See what that is. I don't know what it is. Ah, behold, the virgin shall be with child. This is a quote from Isaiah. I don't know if it's what, eight or nine? Isaiah seven, seven fourteen. So it's quoting Isaiah seven fourteen, And this is Matthew 1, 23. So this is uh, being applied to Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So this is where God told the prophet Isaiah that uh, the, the child that was born was going to be called God with us. This is the implication that it's, it's a human child, but it's also God. And uh, it's, it's applied to Jesus by the gospel writers. Um, Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Hmm. We see uh, other places in Matthew where you can have 
kind of a glimpse of both aspects. If you look in Matthew chapter 17, you have this uh, unique event. It's called the Transfiguration. Let's read it. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Um... That's it, it goes on a little bit more, but that's the idea. You have Jesus, the man, Jesus. All of a sudden, some some kind of veil of, of, of their sight is kind of peeled back, and they see that they're dealing with not just the man, Jesus, but the God, Jesus. It's God, man. Both, both aspects come across in the passage. Um, and then if you read on, you know, that very little while later, it's just Jesus is back again. His face isn't shining like that. And they're like, you know, they see, they've, they've seen a glimpse. They've seen his, his divinity. Um, what else? Well, there's a verse in uh, Timothy. First Timothy. Bang my knee. 3.16. Gonna take a glance at that. See. See what's going on there. This is another poem, song, poetic thing at least, that uh, Paul is, is writing here. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Here's the poem. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So that's a really early uh, confession of faith of the New Testament believers d during during this era. This was this was Paul's re recording. This is this, this saying is not, is not something Paul came up with. It's it's a, it's a saying of the time. Um, God was manifested in the flesh. That's the incarnation. You have God and in the flesh. The dual natures. Jesus. Uh, that may be enough. But I also have Romans 8 written down here. I'm not really sure why. Um, but... Let's see. Romans 8. Let's read the first few verses. Therefore, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, therefore, now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So I guess the key verse really was, was 3. Uh, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So you have God sending his Son, Jesus, in, to be flesh. 
Um, so the divine and the human aspect. Nature. So this is what we mean when we talk about hypostatic union is, is the technical term for this doctrine. It's the dual natures. Divine and human nature of Christ in one. Now, these passages, I think, show us that the writers of the New Testament uh, see and the Old Testament prophets, or how the New Testament writers interpreted the Old Testament prophets, they see uh, God and man combined in the, in Jesus. Um, but exactly how that combination pans out, um, there has could could be and has been throughout the history of the church some controversy. Is it is it that he he only uh, you know, appears to be flesh. You know, you notice some of the phrases there, the likeness of flesh. Doesn't say, uh, sometimes it said flesh, sometimes it said the likeness of flesh. Or he only appears to be divine, but really it's, it's he's only he's only flesh and he appears to be divine, or he's only uh, divine and he appears to be flesh. That was the early heresy, that, that passage I read in, in Second John was combating, Second John 7, um, talking about that as a deception. To say that he hasn't come in the flesh, hasn't actually been in the flesh; it just looked like flesh. Um, so there's there's that, uh, and then there's there's a, a way of coming at it like, well, he was really flesh, and he was. Sorry, my, my daughter dropped, dropped some books. Sorry, no, it's okay, it's okay. So he 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 only. He, he was flesh, he was really flesh, he was really God, but wasn't like full 100% God, 100% flesh. You know, it was flesh in some sense and God in some sense. Yes, real flesh in some sense, really human in some sense, and really God in some sense, but not really fully God like in the full sense of being God or fully human in the sense of being human. So those those are, are ways that, that the... the the idea of Jesus, the dual natures of Jesus Christ could be um, parsed out. And the uh, Orthodox Christian position, so Orthodox as in the official position of the Christian Church since um, the, uh, I don't know exactly when, but I, early on in the first few centuries, you know, for sure within the first five centuries of, of Christian, of the Christian faith, an orthodox position was established, and then if you anyone outside of that position has been considered heretical since then by the, the church at large, and and that that position was that the, the New Testament is teaching that Jesus is fully, as in one hundred percent God, and fully, as in one hundred percent man at the same time. And there's reason why the councils arrived at this position from scripturally, and, and uh, I'll try to show you. Why? Um, so, first off, um, Jesus possessed um, all of the uh, qualities that are also attributed to God. Uh, you know, for example, uh, certain attributes, ooh, sorry, you know, like omniscience or omnipotence, all-knowing, all all-knowledge, all-knowing, all-powerful. Um, these kind of attributes um, he possessed wh while he was here walking the earth. And we, we see that in different passages in the Gospels. So, you know, let's look at a, a couple passages from Matthew and John just to show that. Um, uh, so let's start Matthew 9. All right. Matthew chapter 9. So this is that Jesus... Ah, I'm trying. What we're talking about here is that Jesus possessed attributes that are, are not human. Uh, while he was a man on the earth, he possessed human attributes, or divine attributes. Um, so 9... Um, Verses 4 and 5. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? 
So the idea here is that knowing the thoughts of other people is not a not it's not a human thing. It's a divine thing. Um, knowledge that is not human. Uh, Matthew twenty eight. So that's uh, we might call that omniscience. He knows everything, uh, and it's we see that there. There could be other ways of understanding that passage, but that's that's a way. How about uh, the the Great Commission passage? Kind of gives us a sense of the attribute of um, omnipresence, all present, uh, applies to Jesus, um, where he says, "All authority." This is the last ver. This is the very end. The last few sentences in the Gospel of Matthew. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the idea here is he is singular, I, singular, first person singular, is saying I am with you, plural, always. So he's telling a plural group that wherever they go, he's with them, meaning he's in more than one place at one time. The idea, this is Jesus, not, not God speaking, but Jesus. And, and this is one of the reasons why we, we, we acknowledge that Jesus was fully divine, because he possessed the divine attributes, omniscience, omnipresence, this kind of thing. Uh, we'll do a few more uh, from, from the Gospel of John, just to show... The idea, uh, John 3, no one has, this is verse 13, John three thirteen. no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. So the, the bizarre idea here is that Jesus is speaking on earth, and he's claiming he's in heaven. Um. Something not possible for a human to be in one, two places at once, but certainly not a limitation on on God. That is a uh, is a alternate reading. So the um, the critical text doesn't omits that. So it may may have been a later edition is the their thinking. Um, but just to point that out. How about John seventeen five? And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So there we have um, eternal, the etern eternality, I guess would be the noun form, how Jesus is eternal, existing before everything else, you know, for eternity past. Um, that's a divine attribute. The created things were created by God that came into existence. Um, God is the only eternal thing, but he's, he's, he's making a claim for that. Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. John 17, 5. So, this is Jesus' own speech. You know, we're quoting Jesus mostly here. Um, his, own, his own teaching, when he taught, what his what is followers, disciples were writing down, recording of him, uh, if you're simply examining that, you'll, you see in the Gospels that he's claiming to possess attributes which only apply to uh, deity. Uh, omnipresence, um, omniscience, uh, eternality, things like this. Um, this is one of the reasons why uh, at the councils early on in the first few centuries of Christianity when this topic was being debated, <coughs> The argument was put forward from Scripture that, that Christ is, was uh, fully God. Uh, there's other reasons, uh, but that's that's uh, a reason to, sh to hold to the the fact that he show the gospels show him possessing divine attributes uh, would would point us towards divinity. But the gospels show other things. They show that he is possessing. Uh, all limitations of humans. So he's, he's also 
it's both. We see both in the pages of the Gospels. So that's that's what cues the reader off to something different going on here with this individual uh, than uh, any other human throughout history. So limitations. What do I mean by human limitations? I mean the kinds of things that you and I experience in our lives. Uh, for example, let's just go back to Matthew again. The list, the, what we were just looking at is things you and I don't experience. Those are divine attributes. Now we're talking about human things. When Jesus, John 4, opening line, when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry, facing temptation, experiencing hunger, you see, uh, human, very much human uh, thing. Uh, well, let's see, let's go flip over to, to Mark. Mark 4.38. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. This is in the middle of a, a, a storm. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The, the unique thing here, the, the human limitation is, He's sleeping, just like you and I sleep. Uh, that's not a divine attribute. That's a human attribute. Fatigue. Hunger. Fatigue. Um, what other kinds of human limitations? Well, let's flip over to, to chapter 6. We're still in Mark. Uh, 30, 31. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So, the need for solitude. Yes, people need connection and, and intera human interaction, but there's also an equal. There's also a need for coming apart and having solitude. And Jesus and his disciples are experiencing that. Um, what else? Um, All right, let's look at Luke. Luke is a medical doctor. The author of this book, Luke, is a medical doctor. He, so he records some interesting things, human-type uh, body things. So Luke 2, we have, I believe this is just Jesus growing up. That's what, what we have here is uh, where, where would we be uh, uh He went down with 51 and 52. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. Just that, that increasing in wisdom. God is, already knows everything, so he doesn't need to increase in wisdom. He increased in, in height. He grew taller. Um, very human. Um, so we see that God, Jesus learned things, increased in wisdom, just and, and just like he grew in height, just like you and I. But then we also see glimpses of him knowing things <clears throat> that he had no right to know. So divine aspect and the human aspect when it comes to knowledge, both in the, in the same Gospels. Uh, how about uh, If you go up from where I was just reading, you have a whole story where he's learning. He's questioning and asking questions um, in the temple. And people are asking him questions, seeking knowledge. That's uh, in Luke 2. But if we go to the Gospel of John, where we've already been a little bit. Uh, John, let's see how we're doing for time. Maybe I should just... Yeah, we're at a half hour, so I don't, I don't put the crank this into gear, speed up here. We see we see that he experiences limitations, right? We got that. All right, so let's let's just go on. So um, we see he he possesses both the human and the divine aspect. All right, we got that. Uh, what about uh, is he all? Is he fully God? 
Was he fully man? Well, fortunately, the New Testament writers explicitly state both. So there's not a whole lot of questioning on that on that point. Uh, so let's just look first with the, the deity aspect. Colossians 2. Um, General electric power. Colossians 2. Where are we here? 2.9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Maybe we should read a little context. Now I will, let's just start at the beginning of Colossians 2. For I want you to know what a great conflict I had for you and for those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches, of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. And you, therefore, having have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him, that's Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So, it's an explicit statement. In Christ dwells all of God. He's fully God. Um, we have... An equally explicit statement in Hebrews that he is fully man, uh, and that's Hebrews two. Uh, let's take a look. Hebrews two. I guess we'll start in verse eleven. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praises to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am, the children whom God has given me. So three three Old Testament quotes. Uh, I, I guess I'll tell you where we're quoting from. So, so that's the first one was Psalm 102, 25 and 20, 26 and 27, those verses. The second one was... Oh, no, that's wrong. That, that was 22. The first one was Psalm 22. Verse 22. The second one was 2 Samuel 22, 3. And then uh, Isaiah eight seventeen as well. And the third one was Isaiah eight eighteen. Three quotes. All right, now we're in verse 14, Hebrews 2, 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. I think the key here really is 17. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. In all things. Jesus was, was like you and me. Human. In all things. It's a statement of the fullness of his humanity, just like the, the statement in Colossians is a statement of the fullness of his deity. So we, we see that he has both, and we see it taught that both are full. It's fully God, Colossians 2.9, and it's fully human, Hebrews 2.17. Um, there's other reasons... Uh, why, uh, for example, um, you'd see this, uh, you know, you, you could uh, basically infer his deity or his humanity um, 
not you don't not from explicit statements, but from uh, Jesus's actions, like in John ten, for example. Um, Jesus ends up in a situation where he's going to be stoned to death for claiming to be God. That's you know, there's a lot of people. Uh, <clears throat> I've encountered this. Uh, Frequently, when talking with Muslims, that that they they come out with this thing that Jesus never claimed to be God. That's something that his followers made up. Well, I mean, this this is Jesus talking. This is an account going. Jesus is teaching, and and these are the Jew. These are people who want to kill him for claiming to be God. So I mean, let's just read it. It's it's pretty uh, hard to uh, come up with a different inference from this passage than that Jesus is. Is God. Uh, so where are we? John 10, starting verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? That's a quote from Psalm 82. Um, it's interesting, Jesus uses the word Torah, law, uh, loosely to apply to the entire Old Testament, not just the, the Torah proper, the first five books, but the prophets, the second division of the Hebrew scriptures, and the Psalms and, and, and other proverbs, other writings, the third division. He's quoting from that, the writings, and he's calling it Torah, the whole thing. Um <clears throat> Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not, the works of my Father do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. So he's basically claiming that he's the ministry he's doing, the miraculous healings and and his teaching is he's, he's trying to demonstrate to them that he is God, and uh, they're not happy with it. They get it and they want to kill him for it, and that's eventually why they do kill him. That's his charge: is blasphemy, claiming to be God. That's why he's executed on the on the Sanhedrin sentences him to death on, on the grounds of blasphemy. Sanhedrin's the Jewish r ruling body, the it's like the Senate of the Jewish people. Uh, so <clears throat> you can infer it. I was trying to say you can infer his deity. Uh, you could just as well infer his humanity because you know, well, there's all those limitations we were just talking about, like hunger and sleep and all that. But Jesus also participated in everything that every human participates in. Uh, he was born. You got accounts of his birth in, in Luke, particularly Luke chapter 2, beginning of, you know, say like verses 1 through 20, is, is the night of his birth. That's just, it's a, it's a story. It's just like every one of you has a story your mother tells you when the night, the day you were born, you know, what it was like. If... If you're if you're fortunate enough to to ha have your mother around, I know not everyone is, but um, <clears throat> that's a common human thing. Uh, what else? Uh, death. You know, he died just like you and I died. You know, it's a human thing. Um, he had family life. You see his family life. You see his interactions with his mom, with his brothers. Um, you see. Uh, where all kinds of stuff. You, we have his 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 sisters are mentioned. Um, but he, he, it's an inference you can make from all that that he's he's, he's a regular human. Uh, he he also ha is resurrected. Obviously, you and I are not yet resurrected, but Scripture maintains we will be. He's the first fruits. It's another common experience common to humans. I mean, that will be common to humans, I guess. Um, so, I guess the uh, that kind of shows it. I mean, basically, <clears throat> I hope you can see. Hope I've been clear here. As I went on here for about forty minutes, tried to show a lot of verses uh, on this topic, the natures of Je the dual nature of Jesus.
both God and man, and then how, why the position, the official position of the Christian church is that he's fully God and fully man. Um, now, <clears throat> might take the next 20 minutes just, just to talk about why would this, why does it matter? You know, why is it important? What does it mean, uh, say, for, for my life, for your life? Uh, How is it relevant? Um, well, Jesus had to possess two natures in order for him to be the Savior that he is. If you, if you, if you take away one or the other, Jesus is not the Savior that he is in Christianity. Christianity doesn't have its Savior. Um, so what do I mean by that? Well, the, the message of the salvation, the, the gospel message, which is the core, core of Christianity, that's, that's what the, the New Testament is really about, is this gospel message, uh, it unravels uh, in, in a variety of ways. If you take away Jesus' divinity or his humanity, if you, take, if you diminish his humanity or you diminish his deity, if they have anything but being fully God, fully man, you have various ways in which the, the gospel's unraveling. Um, so let me try to show what, show what I'm trying to say. Uh, so um, let's let's look at uh, this idea of, of Jesus having a a pure and a spot his pure and spotless sacrifice. Um, so if you look at, at the Gospel of John, very beginning, uh, first. Uh, John 1, uh, you have this testimony about of the, John the Baptist gives this testimony of Jesus and he says, I'll read it, um, so verse 29, <clears throat> the next day John, that's the baptizer, saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now there's a, that's a loaded, that's a culturally loaded statement. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's about it's a reference culturally to the Jewish sacrificial system where lambs were required at certain times of the year and uh, for for certain types of sacrifices, and they had to be perfect, spotless lambs. They couldn't have any blemishes in them. They had blemishes. They weren't accepted as sacrifices. Um, just to get a, another glimpse at this idea, let's look at First Peter, uh, first first chapter of First Peter. So First Peter, ver, chapter one, verse nineteen. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See that that's it's relevant. Uh, the, the without blemish, without spot, culturally relevant. Uh, so maybe we should get a little context from this Peter passage. Um, and if you, so verse 17, if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with, with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who has raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So, what do I mean then when I say that uh, the meaning of Jesus' death as a pure and spotless sacrifice, uh, you lose it, it changes, if, um, if you remove Jesus' deity and you leave him with humanity. Um, well, if you just have a if you just have a God and you don't have a man, right? Total, total. It's total deity, which he hasn't really come in the flesh, which is this early heresy that uh, that I talked about when I read uh. Where was I reading? Um, John, right? John, Second uh, John 7. 
there's deception. Second John 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver in Antichrist. Well, if you take away the flesh, it's just, he's, Jesus is just God. He wasn't really a man. Well, you've, you've immediately you've altered the meaning of this pure and spotless sacrifice because it, it's just Jesus, or it's just God. They're just one nature, and, and that divine nature can't be tempted with evil. I mean, if you look at James, what does it say in James chapter 1, verse 13? Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So, it's, it's a much, much cheaper, it's a much cheapened idea of pure and spotless sacrifice. It's a pure and spotless sacrifice that was all, you know, without sweat or effort. He was only God. He had no ability to be tempted. He just lived a life he couldn't have sinned. But if you introduce back into, if you, if you don't dispense with his human nature, if you don't, if you keep the, the, the divine and the human nature, then he, as a man, he could have sinned. But he didn't. And he was pure and he was spotless and he lived life without sinning. The meaning is totally different. The meaning of his pure and spotless sacrifice. It's, it's much more meaningful. It's not a real cheap, easy thing. Uh, so, you know, that's a way in which, uh, you know, you've changed the gospel message if you remove one or the other. Uh, that's if, that's if, where are we talking about it? If, uh, you've, if you take away the humanity, what else would happen if you took away the humanity of Jesus? Um, well, let's look. We have this idea of a substitutionary atonement, right? Do you know what that means? Well, I think I do. Substitution means I'm the one who needs to die for my sin, but somebody else substitutes for me. And they make atonement, which is uh, peace in a sense with God. So they satisfy demands of righteousness of God. So a sacrifice of an animal that is pure and spotless would do that. The animal could take my place and uh, <clears throat> satisfy the righteous demands of God. But what happens in Jesus' death on the cross is he is a perfect uh, substitute. An animal is an imperfect substitute never really does the job because it doesn't substitute well for a human. Kind of does the job is the idea, but it keeps having to be repeated. But Jesus really does the job and he gets it done and doesn't need to be repeated anymore because it's not a kind of kind of well done job. It's a finished job. It is finished. So um, if you look back at that verse in Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 17, you see... Where I said, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That's it. The word there is propitiation, not, rather than atonement. But uh, if you looked in Acts uh, chapter 3, verse 22, you see a similar thing. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. In all things, whatever he says to you. So a prophet like me, from your brethren. I don't understand why I have that reference written here. But um, it's talking about how Jesus is similar, right? What do you got? X, X737, my other reference. Same thing, raising up a prophet like me. So the the, the fact that Jesus, you get rid of a, a, a actual, the whole argument of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. You don't need the blood of goats and bulls anymore, basically. I mean, that's not actually the argument, but I mean, that's that's a paraphrase of the main idea, let's say. If if you uh, <clears throat> take away his, his humanity, you lose the substitutionary atonement because he's no longer the perfect sacrifice. He's not a human. 
So human is not su human substituting for human. So uh, <clears throat> there's two ways in which the gospel unravels if the message doesn't work anymore. If you remove one of the aspects, we're talking now about removing the humanity. You remove the humanity, it, the idea of it being a pure and spotless, sinless uh, sacrifice is, is kind of meaningless because it's just God and God can't have sin. So, you know, what's the, the meaning's totally different. If, if you, uh, take away the humanity, you, you can't substitute, can't be the perfect sacrifice for another, you know, you can't, it can't really be a substitute for me because he's not human. He's, he's fully divine. There's no humanity, no full humanity. Um, and then a third one here, he, he, uh, Jesus comes and in a sense is the second Adam. Uh, and he, he does what Adam failed to do. So, uh, the, the first Adam sinned in the garden. He failed. And the second Adam doesn't sin. He brings about restitution. In order to be that second Adam in the form of the first Adam, he has to be fully man. Uh, so let's just look at where Paul's <clears throat> bringing this theme forward to see what I'm trying to say. Uh, so we'll start in Romans 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the, till the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the, the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more... The grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which comes from, which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the life of right, and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many were made righteous. More were the law entered that the offense might abound, for where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So then, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See this back and forth. If by the one man's this, the other man's that. In order to to be the obedient, to be obedient, you know, Adam was disobedient and sin entered, and it's through Christ's obedience that grace enters. Right. In order to to counter Adam and his disobedience by being obedient, he had to be Adam. He had to be a man, the one man. The other man. All right, that's the idea of the second Adam theme here. You see it elsewhere. Uh, if you look at just in the next chapter. Uh, you know, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So in a sense, Christ's death on that cross um, how can we be crucified with Christ if Christ isn't man? You know, it's 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 it doesn't work. These 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 aspects of the gospel, these of our, our, our identification with Christ, or our, our being uh, you know participating with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. If He's if we take away the His human nature, we lose these parts of the gospel. The gospel message unravels. Uh, <clears throat> you can look at First Corinthians fifteen. As well, you can see some of these old and new first, second Adam themes. First uh, Corinthians 15 is all about how Jesus really was a man. He really had a body. And he really raised from the dead uh, bodily. Uh, and how, if you don't have that, you don't have the Christian faith, basically, is the argument of chapter 15 of First Corinthians. Um, it's kind of the argument I'm trying to make here. If you don't have Jesus being man, you lose, actually, the, the gospel message. Um, oh, so let me just read a few verses here, uh, like, uh, I don't know, 
Uh, how about verse, verse 20? But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in its own order. Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, and he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. Then when he puts all an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Um, so I think I think that's enough there. But the idea is you have the Adam, the, there, there's death, right? For an Adam all die, Christ made alive. It's this comparison, first and second Adam. It doesn't work if the second Adam isn't actually a man. All right, so so that's uh, that's one one thing, but we could do it the other way. What if we remove the God aspect? So we just looked at if you remove if you remove the fully human part, you lose the meaning of a pure and spotless sacrifice because it's it's not a pure and spotless sacrifice. It had an option. There was no option to not be pure and spotless, right? You remove the option of of, of not being. You change. Uh, you can't have substitutionary atonement. You can't have first and second Adam themes. Uh, what happens if you remove the God part? Well, uh, again, we have a few problems, a few ways the gospel unravels. Um, well, the first is that Jesus is very problematic. He's either mentally deranged because he thinks he's God. He's, he's just flat out lying. Um, one or the other. Uh, both of which are problems. If he's mentally deranged, he's not pure and spotless. If he's lying, he's not pure and spotless. Jesus is clearly claiming to be God. We saw that when we read John 10. Um, you see that elsewhere in the Gospel. John 20. When we read John 20. Uh, again, Jesus is crucified. The, the reason he's crucified is because of his claim. His charge is is uh, blasphemy, which is claiming to be God. Uh, but John twenty, this is Jesus risen from the dead. Now Thomas, this is verse twenty four, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, "We have seen the Lord." So he said to them, "Unless Noah, Noah, stop. Unless." Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and put, <clears throat> look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Then Thomas said my, to him, My Lord and my God. And what did Jesus say? Uh, uh, Thomas, I need to correct you. I, I'm not your God. No, that's not what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Claim to deity. So, <clears throat> he's either deranged, he, he thinks he's God, he's not really, or he's just a liar. And uh, either way, he's no longer a pure and spotless sacrifice. The, the meaning... Both of these make him unfit. Uh, so, you know, how do I know these make him unfit for sacrifice? Well, let's just look. Look at Deuteronomy 15. Uh, 21. But if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. He's pretty clear on what he wants, what are fit sacrifices and what aren't. It's, it's in the, the Mosaic Law. Uh, let's look at uh, uh, Malachi, uh, where they're offering unfit sacrifices and God is not pleased. He's, he's very angry. Uh, let's just read that passage. Uh, Malachi chapter 1. You offer defiled food on my altar, verses 7. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? 
And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Um, so you get the idea. Disqualified sacrifice. Uh, if he isn't God, then he would not be a fit sacrifice because he's claiming to be God. So he's a liar or he's blemished. Um, what about what else? Um, well, if you take away the fact that Jesus is the God-man, um, you open up the door for any human. You ever have the, the possibility for multiple saviors. Anybody could make substitutionary atonement for mankind or for me. Uh, but that's a heretical... That's not true because that's a statement that's explicitly condemned in Scripture. I mean, let's look. Uh, more than once it's, it's condemned. Uh, you know, John 14. John 14, uh, <clears throat> 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is claiming I'm the only way. I'm the only fit substitutionary atonement. Uh, Peter claims the same thing when he's preaching in, uh, in uh, Acts 4. He says, uh, where am I exactly? Acts 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only one name, Jesus Christ. Paul says the same thing, 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The problem with if you remove Jesus' uniqueness as being God, so you take the God part away and you just have the man, any number of, of, of the billions of humans that have lived on the face of the earth could be that mediator. So provided they live... Jesus lived a pure, spotless life. Anybody could, right? Uh, there's no, there's no uniqueness to Jesus's uh, sacrifice. Anyone could do it. Is the idea, but that's that's explicitly not. Teacher, uh, scripture explicitly teaches against that. I'll read it again. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. All right, so, huh. Say we remove the God part. What do we have? Jesus is no longer a fit sacrifice. Anybody could be. Uh, you you could you open the possibility for there being multiple Jesus figures throughout history and and, and in the present time. And then thirdly, um, if Jesus is just a extremely good person, you know he's a good teacher, he's a prophet, but he's not God himself then uh, Christianity is no different than uh, any other, you know, Islam. That's what Islam teaches about Jesus. Uh, that's what uh, the, the Watchtower Society teaches about Jesus. You know, that's what, uh, what Jesus can do for me is no different than what any other human could do for me. Salvation is totally cheap and the gospel message is, is reduced. It's gone. You know, when it, what does it mean Jesus came to save me from my sins? Well, Jesus is just a man. You know, the Hindu guru down the corner can just as effectively save me from my sins. So we have a serious problem. The gospel message is very well, very much cheapened. Um, when, we, when we remove either one of these, we lose the gospel message as we know it. The core message of Christianity disappears. So that's why it's necessary for Christianity in orthodox forms to maintain this doctrine of the hypostatic union. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Um, so <clears throat> that's all, folks. hope these scriptures speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, we love you. We want to uh, know you as you reveal yourself in scripture. <clears throat> and we don't want to know you um, as a way that we've built up 
to know you. We want to know you as Scripture teaches you, you who you are. So we, we please, Father God, uh, empower and enable us to be in your word, to read and to, um, to feed on your word and open it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.